can turn to Ephesians 1. We're at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, um, focusing on what Paul says about the church. Still not sure how many weeks we're going to spend here. Maybe this is it. But today we're going to focus on verse 22 and the beginning of verse 23. Um, But I'm going to read verses 20 through 23 so we can kind of get our bearings in our passage. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23, starting where it says, He raised Him. He, that's God the Father, raised Him, that's Jesus, from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. When it says power and dominion, that's talking about spiritual authority, spiritual power, spiritual dominion, Satan and demons. Jesus is above Satan and demons. It's not like Jesus and Satan are having it out and we'll see who wins. Jesus wins. He already won on the cross. Uh, Are they allowed to exist? Yes, for time, for His purposes. But uh, he He has been seated with power and authority over them and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He, God the Father, put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all and all. Amen. Jesus is... Lord of lords and King of kings. God the Father raised Him from the dead, brought Him back to heaven, and gave Him as authority, uh, as head over everything. All things have been placed under Jesus' feet. But that's not all. The text says that God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body. So, last week we established that Paul is using a play on words here. On the one hand, Jesus is head over all things, like head of state, um, meaning He is the chief authority, but not just over the state, over everything. On the other hand, the church is Jesus' body. So, not only does Jesus rule as head over all things, He is also the head on the body. Um. In this passage, not only do we see Jesus' authority over all things, including the church, we also see the vitality of uh, Jesus' connection to the church. What happens when you cut off someone's head? They die. We, the church, have spiritual life because we're connected to Christ as the body is connected to the head. All life is in Him. We are in Him. We have life. The next thing we established last week was the nature of Jesus' rule and the place of the church, the place that the church has in the outworking of Jesus' rule over all things. Jesus is Lord over all things. Whether anyone believes that or not, that, that is the reality. He is not a tyrant Lord, though. He is the Savior Lord. He rules to save. Remember, we looked at Revelation chapter 7, uh, verses 9 and 10. You don't have to turn there. But if you're not familiar with that passage, it's one a good one to become familiar with. The Apostle John has been given a vision of the end, and he says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, worshiping. This is where things are heading. This is the end. The whole world will be saved. That doesn't mean every individual will be saved, but it does mean that people from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, and all languages, not one small dialect will be left out of this great salvation. Jesus has been enthroned as head over all things, and this is good news for the world. Jesus is saving the world. Of course, it's not good news for anyone who will not repent of their sin and submit to Jesus' Lordship now as the offer to come in is still on the table. But the door is open right now and Revelation 7 says that we see that um, so many people will be saved in the end that we don't have the mathematics to count that high. We, we cannot count that high. Period. Now then, If that's where things are going, it helps us to understand our passage in Ephesians 1. Revelation 7 is talking about the fulfillment of all things under Jesus' rule. Ephesians 1 starts at the beginning of Jesus' rule over all things when He was enthroned after the resurrection. So after He resurrected, Jesus went back to heaven. He was given as as head over all things. And at the end, at the consummation, so many people will have been saved that we can't count that high. All this under Jesus' rule as Savior King. We live in the in-between. In between the time that He was first put uh, as King and Lord over all, and the end when all people will have been brought to Himself. We live in the in-between. We live in the time when the crowds are coming in. We live in the time when the people from all nations, tribes, peoples, and languages are being saved. We are some of those people. But the question for us is, what now? Here's the answer. Jesus rules to save. Jesus has been given as head over all things to the church. And while this certainly communicates the amazingly privileged position that we are in as those who are vitally connected as head and body to the King, this also communicates the role that we play in this great salvation. We the church are saved. Now what? We play a central role in the salvation of the world. Jesus establishes His rule and reign over all things in and through His church. At the core of the church's existence is mission. Jesus is saving the world. He's using the church to do it. Now last week I said that when we talk about this, we should think about the church in two different ways. One is the church institutional. One is the church Organic. Those are just words that I use. I'm sure it's not, you don't have to stick to that, but there's two separate ways we think about the church. Last week we talked about the church institutional, and the basic point was this. It is true to say that every Christian everywhere for all time makes up the church. But it is also true that Jesus intends to carry out His mission in the world um, in that Christians everywhere are organized into local churches. There's some institutional structure involved in discipleship. If you just scan the New Testament, we did this last week, you see the Great Commission, which is uh, really Jesus's, which are Jesus' marching orders for what we are to do while He's back in heaven, enthroned over all things. And as we turn the pages of the New Testament, we see that the way the Great Commission gets fleshed out is that there are more and more local churches established. 
The church institutional is central to Jesus' mission in the world. That said, the church is also organic. And by organic, I don't mean something that you buy at Whole Foods. I mean that the church is a living organism. The church is Jesus' body, the text says. So, uh, really, what I want to do for the rest of the time is think about some of the implications of what this means. What does it mean, the church is Jesus' body? Certainly, I don't have an exhaustive list, but I have some thoughts, and maybe you do too. Um, Number one, what this means is that Jesus is still present in the world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in and through the church, His body. Jesus is still present in the world. Jesus is saving the world in and through the church. Number two, um, organic does not mean disorganized. Organic has kind of become a buzzword, and uh, people use it to mean, you know, just kind of let it happen. We want it to happen organically. Don't force it. Just kind of let it flow. And... uh, People that want the church to be organic tend to loathe any type of structure because, you know, it doesn't feel organic if there's structure. And you know what pastors they would tend to point to is pastors like the one we're studying right now. The church is Jesus' body, man. It's not a building. It's His body. We're the body, you know. And I agree that we're not the building. The church is the people. Yes and amen. But organic does not mean disorganized. Think about it. We're the body. The, the body is an organism, a network, a complex network of interdependent parts. But an organism does not just have parts that are kind of beaten to their own drum and doing their own thing and going their own way. The body is working properly when all parts are working in unison. All parts are moving in the same direction with a, a common purpose toward a common goal. You know, that's what happens when you walk. I mean... Your eyes do something and your feet do something and and your body does something and everything's working together going that way. The body is intimately connected, which I think that's what people are after when they're talking about organic. But it's also beautifully ordered with interdependent parts. So when when we take organic to mean wherever the next day takes me, like a freewheeling hippie, and we loathe any structure we really miss what the text is getting after here. I think that uh, we fall into that in our own personal devotional lives. We just want it to feel organic. The vine needs a trellis to grow on. You, you don't plant plants without something to help them grow in the right direction. You need structure. We all need structure. We need structure in our personal devotional lives. We need structure and order in our corporate devotional lives. Um, there are some beautiful things that we can learn from the fact that the church is the body, but being lazy and disordered in the name of being organic is not one of the things that we should learn. Number three, and look, I I speak about that so firmly because I've tended to be that way. You know, just kind of let it fly. Let's see what happens. See, God will meet me where I'm at. And He will, but if we want to grow, we need some order, we need some structure. There's nothing wrong with discipline. In fact, it's a very good thing. Number three, we need each other. Um, we're all parts to the body. We're different parts, but we're all important parts. The hand needs the arm, the arm needs the shoulder, the shoulder needs the chest, so on, so on, so on. In order to reach the world as we are intended to, um, A, 
we all need to be engaged with the Lord in an intimate, personal way. We want every part of the body to be healthy. The, the head spreads life throughout the body. So we need to be engaged with the Lord in an intimate, personal way. B, we need to grow more okay with who God has made us to be individually and um, learn to walk in those giftings. I'm a teacher. Not all of you are teachers. That's good. If we have all teachers, we don't get very far. Um, You have things that I don't have. I have things that you don't have. So at another time, we could do a more in-depth study of some of the various giftings. But ask yourself, in the different ways that God has made me, and a part of that is your unique personality and and, uh, the things that you're more prone to want to do, you know, those, those can be telltale signs. But in light of God, how God has made you, ask yourself, how can I be a blessing to the larger church body? How can I complement um, what other gifts we have here for God's mission? Next, we need to grow more and more engaged with one another. We, you know, in here, I mean, this is certainly not exhaustive, but it's a start. We have built-in time for fellowship in class each week. My hope is that that, you know, is used to make connection, organic, uh, good relationships. We have prayer requests in class each week. I don't know, uh, you know, many better ways to get to know someone's heart than to hear what's on their heart and mind and what they would like us to pray for. We have the occasional gathering outside of class. You have a home where you can invite people over and, and host them and get to know them. We have ample discipleship, community, service, outreach opportunities in and through our church, all of which involve other people in our church and provide uh, opportunities for us to better know one another. So the closer we grow to one another, the more we love and serve one another, the stronger we get as the body, and the better we're able to reach and serve and rescue the world, help rescue the world. We need each other. And to encourage you, I see great growth in that respect in our group. People always wanting to jump in an opportunity to reach out to those in need or those who are hurting or those that need this or that. And um, that's good. And let's continue to grow in that way. Negatively, though, you know, some things that could hinder, um, you know, I don't really like that person or I'm not really we don't have a whole lot in common Um, next time you think I don't really like them or I don't really have a lot in common with them that first conversation didn't go that well don't you think that we should put selfish preferences aside to better engage with the body in light of what we know the body is up to in the world there's a bigger goal in mind than our own personal comfort Jesus is saving the world through his church which is his body and The body being healthy depends on, yes, everyone being connected to Christ, but also on everyone being connected to one another. Four, a little different than the last one, but maybe a little more in your personal space. You need the body. So let's say you're a hand. And uh, if you remain on the fringe of, of church life and you get disconnected from the body, essentially the hand has then been cut off. Now, without a hand, the body is at a deficit for sure. No hand. But you know what? The body will heal. I mean, we'll be without a hand, and we're going to have to figure out how to live without a hand. But, what about the hand? 
cut off the hand and leave it disconnected from the body, and what happens? It dies. It rots and decomposes and stinks. Such is life disconnected from the body. We need each other. You need the body. Number five. Uh, Being a part of the body does not mean that we stay in our holy huddle. The body is being used, and what I've tried to capture, the context of this text, I believe, is very mission-oriented. The body is being used to save the world. And one of, the, one of the things that that means is that we're in the world. You know, if we're going to save it, we better at least be there and present. That said, when you're, when you're out in the world, whether it be at work, on the sidelines of your kid's sports team, um, wherever you are that you have meaningful engagement with other people in the world, you're still a part of the body when you're out there. That's kind of how the organic thing works. You know, it's not like, well, I stepped outside the walls, no longer part. We're all part of the body wherever we are. We just meet back together as the body to strengthen the body to better go out into the world. So I think that the encouraging thing that can come from this is don't feel like you're going at this thing alone. Let's say you work at FedEx or IP or a smaller company, but the chances are somebody in here works at one of those too. Um, you could feel pretty alone. And my department doesn't seem like there's very many Christians and all that. Well, you're not alone. You have a community of people, you're part of the body, that are going at this thing together. It just so happens that God has placed this part of the body, you, in a certain context, which is great. Um, I'll give you an example of of how this works. There's a friend of mine who's in the restaurant business and um, um, part of our church and you know, really sees his role in uh, his work as kingdom work. And it is. He is an extension of the body in the place where God has him. So, does that mean that he disconnects work and church? No. I mean, work is a primary context for him fleshing out his Christian living. And uh, there's there's a guy that works with him, a young guy who has recently... um, gone and kind of moving up with the company and got his girlfriend pregnant. And, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to throw a wrench in some things and some plans that they had work-related. But um, this guy, the guy that's part of our church, has seen this as a real opportunity to meet this young man where he is. And now this young man has, uh, at this point, no affiliation with the church, but he comes from a family that's affiliated with the church. It's been some years for him. But my friend has seen this as an opportunity to meet him where he is and try to connect him to the church, which is beautiful and brilliant. Chances are this couple's probably going to move back here because they have some family here. And so my friend has... Uh, I'm trying so hard not to say names. So My, my friend has told me uh, to go and meet this young man. I've already talked to him and, you know... The opportunity is that, yes, I can meet them where they are and show them that there's grace and minister the gospel and help them through this transition. But you know what the end goal for me is? Get them in here. Because this is where the health is. I mean, this is where they're going to be really helped over the long haul. I can give them a few things up front to kind of help them through the initial transition, but when they're surrounded by other people in God's family that are on God's mission, that are trying to serve in their families, in their work faithfully, 
That's where real transformation starts to happen. So for us, wherever God has you, the encouragement or the, the, the thing that we can learn here is meet people where they are. Show them grace. The first order of business is not to get them in here. The first order of business is to meet them where they are, shoulder their burdens with them. That's an overwhelming situation. Show them grace. Share the gospel. The best candidate for, for God's grace in your life is the person who's just blown it big time. You know, they think that they have to clean themselves up and get their sins together before they can ever come to Christ or especially before they can ever come into the church. But that's not the way it is. Because we believe that it's okay that you're not okay. Right? Jesus is enough. Meet people where they are. The Gospel is the good news. And I mean, it really seems like good news to people when you give them grace. Jesus died for our sins. You, whoever you are, you're forgiven. He will clean you up. Meet them where they are. And eventually, hopefully, and I... I hope sooner rather than later, our hope is to bring them into the body, but this thing's organic and it kind of reaches into different places and God has you where He doesn't have me, in the world, not just in the huddle. And, but the body is where there is life and vitality. The, the body is connected to the head, right? This is where they're going to grow. In Jesus is all life, all spiritual life. He's connected to his body. So the body has life. In fact, um, this passage in Ephesians 1 not only says that the church is Jesus' body, it also says that the church is Jesus' fullness. So that's an amazing statement. Come into meaningful contact with one Christian, and there's noticeable spiritual life in that person. You know? I mean, you just can't help but notice. If you're out there in the dark and you come into contact with one Christian, it's noticeable. Man, you're different than what's out there. Yeah, I'm a new creation. God has done mighty things in my life. But you bring them into contact with the body, it's not, it's, it really can't compare. The, the power at work in the body is so much more significant than any one of us out in the world alone. Um, I'll tell you an example of this. And this is even just being in contact with with one Christian, but how much more if they were in contact with the body? I was counseling with a couple. They were about to get married. Um, I had known him more than her, but I knew kind of both of them from college. They had grown up in church. Uh, They had been disconnected for years and years. And, you know, like so many of us, I mean, high school, drifted away, college, really stepped away, years, not in the church, uh, not following the Lord. But they're about to get married, and those kind of monumental moments can have that effect on people, either getting married or having kids. It's like, oh, what are we going to do? Um, They didn't have a church, and they knew that they would probably end up back on the fringes of church life at best after our counseling season, which was, I don't know, six, seven weeks, something like that. And they were like a week out from getting married, and we're in there, and she starts weeping, bawling. Can't get a hold of herself. Cry. I'm like, what did I say? I mean, this is not going well. And uh, she was crying and she said, I'm afraid that we're not going to have this next week. I'm afraid that we're not going to... She's come in contact with the Word. She's come in contact with God at work in and through me in, the, in, the, in, in their relationship. They're tracking with these things and they're making changes. And they're, 
But she says, I'm afraid that... And you know, what... I mean, what better... I can't meet with them individually for the next 17 years, and neither should I. But you know what? There's even more of that that she's desiring in the church. Being connected with God's people. She's hungry. And I had good news. Hey, there's grace for all these years of wandering, and come on in. Now, they're not here. Um, Perhaps I should have been a little more firm in coming here, but they're somewhere, and I think somewhere, sort of. But um, (laughs) you know what, though? There will come another point in their life where they realize, man, I've been thirsty for years. And God will put someone else in their life and hopefully to bring them into the fold. Um, I don't think the counseling was that great. I mean, pretty standard. But she was in confrontation with God's Word. She was in the warmth of the light. You know, it's dark and cold out there. And she was in the light. She was warm. She was like, man, I had not felt this way in years. Though, you know, we're salt. She could taste the salt for the first time in years. She's been in this decaying world and she could tell there's some, there's some preservative around here. Needless to say, that was also a teaching moment, moment for the principles I had been teaching them in marriage counseling, which was, husband, this is your responsibility. We've been talking about the husband leading. Your wife is longing to be in fellowship with God and with His people. This is what we were made for. This is the whole purpose of our existence is to know God and love God and know people and love people. His people and with His people, the world. Um, Real significant personal growth starts to happen when we engage with God's people on God's mission. Now, some can't get to the engaging the mission part very consistently because you don't engage with God's people very consistently. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm not naming names. But hey, if you're feeling convicted, God is maybe just convicting you. What I would say is if you want to grow, engage the mission. But how do I get empowered to engage God's mission? Life together. Living life with the people of God. So why the emphasis around here lately so much on the church? Is it self-promoting? We want our numbers to go up? We want our dollar sign to go up? No. Why is there so much pressure to be here every Sunday and every Wednesday? Because we care about your spiritual health individually. We also care about God's mission, and we know that God's mission is best carried out when God's people are healthy and connected. Jesus is the head. He's the chief authority. He rules over all things. And He is the head... On the body, the church. Jesus rules to save the world. He has given spiritual life to His people. He has organized His people into the church. And He exercises His rule over all things in and through the church. The world is dark. The world is very cold. There is light and there is warmth in the body. The world is decaying. The body is a preservative like salt. The world is death. There is life in the body. So... Two applications for you, and we'll quit. Number one, be here every week. It's the same application, but I think it needs to be mentioned. Um, Make sacrifices to be here every Sunday and Wednesday. That is not legalistic. It is the right 
amount of order and structure in order to grow organically. Number two, save the world. Um, And uh, here's how you can get started in doing that and where God has you. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. And what I want to show you is probably my favorite passage for a heart of ministry and kind of what we're up to. We'll get into this more in Ephesians chapter 4, but if you've never heard this before, you should now. We are all ministers. You know, I know my title is minister of such and such, but we are all ministers of the gospel, all on God's mission, corporately and individually. Um, I'm going to read Matthew 9, 36-38. Matthew 9, 36-38. When he saw the crowds, that's Jesus. You know, he's, he's doing his thing and teaching and miracles and all that, and crowds are following him. And he, he sees the crowds, and it says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion, which literally means that he felt something. Something broke inside of him when he looked on the crowds. And he sees these people are helpless. They're in bondage. They may not even know that they're helpless, but they are. And they're in bondage to their sin and we're made to be in fellowship with God and one another on God's mission in the world. And if we're not, you can bet your bottom dollar things are breaking down. He is the life source. In Him, all things hold together. Outside of Him, everything breaks down. And He sees the crowds, Jesus Himself, He sees the crowds and something breaks inside of Him. And He hurts for them in their helplessness, in their isolation, in their bondage. They're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And He turns to His disciples and He says, the harvest is plentiful. How much compassion is even in that statement? There's a lot of people out there that are ready to be harvested. There's a lot of people out there that are hungry and thirsty and helpless and the Gospel really is good news and the light really is warm. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest and uh, into His harvest. Now, that's the first thing we should do is pray earnestly that God would raise more and more people up to go into the world. And as a part of that prayer, here we are. And you're a laborer for the harvest. And God has you in a particular context for the harvest. And there are people in your work, at your kids' schools, the, the people that you meet in the normal, in your family, your friends. The harvest is plentiful. There are people ready to be harvested. There are people ready to be engaged with the light, with the salt. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're dying. And they're wondering, is this really it? No, it's not. We were made to know God, love God, serve God in the context of His church. And uh, we really have something, the something, to give the world. Not just a one-time message, though we can certainly be better prepared probably to deal with that. How do you share the Gospel in a couple minutes? And maybe we can work on that soon. But also, just know that you're part of something bigger. You're not going at this thing alone. And there is health and life and vitality here with God's people. So let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have um, explained so clearly to us who we are, whose we are, what we're doing, why we're here. Uh, If I have complicated that in any way, would you stop up ears? But Lord, I pray that good seed from your word would be planted on good soil and and there would be great joy in further connecting with you in uh, in the church and further connecting with you uh, on your mission. Lord, I pray that you would open many doors. I pray that you would give many opportunities and we all are scared about those opportunities. We all don't know what we should say. But would you give us the words to say uh, when we should say them? Sometimes we probably don't need to say a thing. Lord, would you prepare us, shape us, guide us, and lead us um, to walk with you in uh, this great salvation and to participate, how we get to participate in saving the world. What a, an amazing thing. Um, we entrust all this to you. We ask for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.